I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, and as promised, uh, we are delivering the ultimate inside source today. Jason Perry is joining us from the Hinckley Institute of Politics at the University of Utah. Uh, Jason, of course, is the director at the uh, Hinckley Institute. He's also the vice president of government relations up there on the University of Utah Hill. And uh, Jason, thanks for joining us. Oh, Boyd, always good to be with you. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you had a chance to exhale. Uh, I know the uh, session is always a busy time uh, for you from the University of Utah standpoint and the uh, Hinckley Institute of Politics standpoint. Uh, but I wanted to get a, a couple first, just to some broad brush in terms of your perception of uh, what stood out to you during during the session. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, as anyone who works on the Hill will say, this was an odd year. I there there's so many times where you know I go up on the, I need to go up on the hill for various meetings and Boyd you've been part of this for so long it's just so different to go up on the hill first to be able to find a parking spot <laughs> which was the, the craziest thing I couldn't believe that but but just how just no one was really up there was just really was as an odd experience but you know the fact that so much was able to get accomplished anyway just kind of shows that there may be some things about the session that were different but some things are probably going to continue on into the future, some of the uh, adaptations they made, some of the changes. Yeah, it is uh, it is fascinating. I, although I will not complain about ever being able to find a parking spot up on uh, Utah's <laughs> Capitol Hill. That's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it was so nice. <laughs> so as, as you look at the uh, the session as a whole, again, uh, Utah gets uh, high marks for uh, being able to execute all of this in just 45 days. It, it is a unique thing in the country uh, that we can do this in, in a 45-day period. Uh, it, it any surprises uh, for you as you watch the session play out? Anything that maybe didn't get an airing that uh, you thought might, or uh, anything uh, uh, just kind of get uh, tucked away? Yeah, so I will tell you. So here's one of the things: is I, I watch every legislative session. Oftentimes, there is some issue that dominates most of the session, takes all the oxygen out of the air. And I was looking for some of those things to to happen. We we certainly had a couple of messaging bills some things that were intended to to pr- promote some very intense discussion. And we had it when it came to things like transgender athletes in sports, for example, um, when it came to issues on tax reform. We had a few of those things, but the most surprising thing to me about it was all of those big, hot items, the things that were very contentious, all just went away, you know, somewhere towards the middle. We even had the Governor Cox, uh, you know, because I, I know you and I talked about this at some point, uh, when he was doing his State of the State address, getting ready for the legislative session. I always remember this. He said to his, his former colleagues, I'm probably going to veto a few of your bills. You know, <laughs> don't take it personally, you, you know, but but all those big things that you might have heard about at the beginning that might be potential items to uh, to face the potential veto. All those went away, I think, because the governor got very involved through all of the negotiations. And so when you ask me one of those surprising things are left undone, there's not a lot because they really did work together to fix some of these bigger issues without it being out in the public. Yeah, in fact, I wanted to go down that path with you a little bit in terms of uh, 
uh, Spencer Cox, the governor, uh, his first uh, 45-day session as governor. Uh, he was very hands-on, uh, but I wanted to get some of your other perceptions there. One, are there are there any bills that uh, may face the veto pen, uh, or was it just that they were so engaged that the executive branch and the legislative branch really hammered out a lot of things, uh, so maybe the veto uh, pen is uh, going to be parked uh, to the side for a bit? Well, I'll tell you right now, I don't really see one on the agenda that I think is a highly likely veto uh, there, there, there are a couple bills, particularly at the very end, that we are watching closely, things that were going directly after the governor's uh, emergency powers, for example. This is Senate Bill 195, which really had to do with how long the governor is able to put an emergency order into effect. And our legislature wanted that power back, or at least the, the power to corral that. And that was one that I would have seen as a potential veto. But the reality is that Governor Cox got involved with this very quickly and has even indicated that's probably not when he's going to veto. So that's what's interesting uh, is I don't see a big one out there right now. Most of the time, maybe it's because he's a former legislator, too. The governor got involved very early, made things acceptable, not that he loved all of them, but made them acceptable. So I don't really see a big controversial bill sitting on his desk. Uh, fascinating. Uh, higher ed, of course, is always a big ticket item and uh, a lot of debate uh, up there on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, as you look at uh, any of the bills, uh, have significant ramifications for our uh, institutions of higher learning. Well, th- there, there's one that is, is enormous, and it was, it was so interesting. Uh, as as m- many who are watching this closely know, the legislature uh, took notice of uh, specific school districts in the country, in the state, one in particular, Salt Lake School District, that was not going in person. And so the legislature did get a bill through Senator Todd Weiler that was going to mandate a four-day in-person schedule for every district in the state. But what was interesting for higher ed is um, our legislature's interest in making sure our institutions of, of higher education were also going in person. So this was over the last several days of the session where they also included with that, that Todd, Senator Todd Weiler bill mandating that all institutions of higher education have to give at least 75% in-person options on their campus. And that, that really is going to guarantee that all these schools are, are back in business for the fall. Wow. that's uh, And that's a significant uh, shift there. Again, as you look at the last year, uh, getting people back there or getting people back in the uh, in the Capitol building will be a good thing uh, as well. Looking forward to, to next year. Uh, real quickly, just in our last couple minutes here, uh, Jason, there were uh, a number of bills that dealt with uh, rural Utah, economic development, inland port. Uh, anything stand out to you in, in those spaces? Those ones all seem to move through uh, pretty uh, clockwork wise. Well, they really did. In fact, if, if you ask me, like one of the, one of the themes of this whole legislative session was what you just got to. There was so much investment in the state of Utah. Look, look at what's going to happen over this next year: uh, two hundred and sixty-four million dollars worth of bonding. Things that are going to like double track front runner, for example, streetcars, rapid transit, um, money going into the um, to our to the uh, rainy day fund, but also two new state parks. In fact, if you talk to to Speaker Wilson, they'll say what's one of the great things is they're investing in state parks uh, in, in Utah. And I don't know if people are watching that. There's a new Utah Raptor State Park coming. Uh, Lost Creek State Park is coming. Uh, and also even even dealing with things like a Bears Ears uh, Visitor Center. Um, what you just mentioned, I think, was just one of the really interesting things about the state is they took their, the one-time money they had, 
they invested it in things that should have a return on investment into the state of Utah, uh, but also uh, they did it in a way that if more federal stimulus money comes in, they will just put that back into infrastructure. And that's going to that's going to keep cranes going up in the state of Utah. It's going to keep people working. Oh, that's uh, that's such great insight and, and so important uh, that we do continue to position. Uh, a lot of states, of course, have taken things like this in the past, that one-time money, and put it into things that require a lot more money uh, and have been deeper in, and deeper in debt. I think Utah's done a good job of, of really investing those things wisely uh, to be able to actually move things forward. And, of course, anytime you can get Raptor in the title of a park, uh, that's, a, that's a big win for the state. <laughs> That is so true. A lot of forward-thinking work went uh, into this legislative session. What you said is right. You can take the money you've got and you can spend it on different things, but if you can do something that returns some some money to the state, that's just that's just good planning, and that's what I saw this session. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Jason Perry, always appreciate your insight. That was uh, rapid-fire analysis today. That was probably the best breakdown of the 45 days anybody <laughs> has had. Uh, Jason Perry uh, joining us from the Hinckley Institute of Politics up at the University of Utah. Uh, He's also the Vice President of Government Relations uh, for the university. Jason, always appreciate your insight. Come back soon. Will do. Thank you, boys. Bye. All right. Uh, Again, that's Jason Perry joining us there. We're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, you don't want to miss this. Scott Rasmussen is going to join us. Uh, Some new polling out nationally. Interesting ramifications and perceptions as it relates to voting. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.